as we are getting into our study in Acts chapter 28, verse 17 to 16, as we end up closing the study of Acts in just a few more classes, I want to introduce the concept of how God providentially uses misadventure and even takes our suffering or how we enter into suffering in a way that carries out his will to bring light and hope and promise and we might say the, the word of God, the gospel. And, and in anticipating suffering for the cause of Christ, it, it is not always a, a welcome thought. Sometimes when, we, when I talk to friends, or even just thinking about myself, if I'm honest, uh, so walking the life of a Christian has, for me, been more about being liberated from the consequences of sin, both practical and spiritual, when I think about the, the life in Christ that I have, I often think of healing. But for Paul, he truly does live up to what the Lord Jesus said to him in Acts chapter 9, that he will show him how many things he, he will suffer for the name of God, for the name of Jesus. And he does live up to, to that. Paul does endure many hardships. And it leaves me to wonder sometimes if the suffering Paul goes through is specific to him or is it something that we all share? And I think the answer is yes to both because it is specific to him because the Lord said, you will suffer many things for my namesake. But it's also part of the Christian walk Jesus talked a lot about that Christians must bear their own, you know, bear their own cross. You know, when Jesus said those things, you know, today we think of the cross as a very redemptive symbol, symbolism of, of redemption and God's power and God's love and, and even discipleship, if you, if you please. But for people listening to Jesus say those words for the first time, you know, you must take up your own cross and follow me. The reaction, I bet, was visceral. It was very physical. It was a very emotional sense of, of, of that's an odd statement to say. Why would I have to carry my own, uh, you know, form of execution? Why would I have to do that if I'm going to follow you? Well, Jesus shows us that he's not asking of us anything he would not do for him, do himself. And as a consequence, we see that. So when we think about then the sufferings that happened to Paul in his mission to show the gospel and sort of the, the adventures or even misadventures that Paul goes through uh, as a preacher of the gospel, as he is sharing God's word where it has not been shared before, it is. It comes with the territory of of that suffering. Uh, sometimes you might even find Paul say, "I bear branded on my body the marks of Jesus." So Paul definitely went through a lot for the cause of Christ, and we're we're thankful for that. 
because of his faithfulness, we have a, a human example of, of faithfulness. And what I mean by that is his knowledge may have been inspired, his wisdom influenced by the inspiration given to him, but his courage and conviction are all part of the human equation here. So thinking now about the shipwreck arriving and being on this island and being bitten by a snake, the community thinks he's going to die. Justice, the goddess of, of justice, um, she has taken her bite on him and yet he's still alive. And instead of viewing him as a murderer criminal, uh, they view him at, as a god. And so this is where we're picking up on Paul's miracle in Acts 28, uh, beginning in verse 7. So if you're with us on Facebook, glad that you're with us and joining us tonight. Uh, and in our class tonight on Zoom, we, we will begin in Acts 8, 28, verse 7. And, and I'll read from my Bible just so we, we can uh, appreciate the, the, uh, these verses together here. Now in the neighborhood of that place <clears throat> where were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and we were, were and when we, excuse me, they also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So, this fantastic event of Paul surviving this, the bite of a viper that should have killed him that enabled a certain measure of respect and, and a different appreciation for the Apostle Paul then established a bridge that allowed Paul to engage in a, a chief man of the island, the chief man of the island. You know, the number one person, the head honcho, the, the one that everyone knows, uh, and he bears the name of Publius, or Publius, however you want to pronounce that, you. Um, and what is fantastic about this is the opportunity that's here. And this is what we see throughout the sharing of the gospel. It's all about the opportunities that present themselves. And, and it is, this is the very thing that, as Christians, we have to be mindful of. What are the opportunities that present themselves to us? And I can think of no better time to rethink what does it mean to have opportunity as, as right now. I see a lot of uh, memes, you know, little, little jokes, images with, with little, little jokes tagged to them. How... Oh, and overnight, my preacher became a tele-evangelist, you know, during this whole COVID-19 and shelter in place. Overnight, you know, we, we've, uh, we've sold out to this, you know, system. The joke is something that we've, you know, 
uh, kicked against or perhaps have not readied ourselves to deal with get, entering into you know, the, the digital or streaming world uh, is uh, now something we all have to do to stay together. You know, and what are the, so my point is, what are the opportunities that are, have now presented themselves to us? And, and in, the, in Paul's time, at that moment, the miracle of surviving a snake bite has now provided him enough clout, influence, to be able to go and speak to uh, Publius. And be able to then enter into his own, you know, life setting. And by doing that, has an opportunity to reverse something that normally is not reversed. You know, verse 8. The father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Today, we would think of a fever and dysentery, you know, as something hard and, and could be fatal, but something we can work with, you know, we can calm fevers down with, with, you know, medicine and we can calm fevers down with medication, you know, antibiotics and, and things of that nature. Uh, but, and even with dysentery, you know, um, every time I see that word, I think of the, the old game, the Oregon trail, you know, you died of dysentery, you know, and, and as serious as that is in their day and as serious and difficult as, it still is when we might have something like that today. The opportunity that came to Paul wasn't for self-advantage, right? We're talking about the opportunities that come to Christians at different times in our lives and even throughout the day. Paul doesn't make this about himself. Paul makes it about the power of the gospel that he is connected to. And that is the question we always have to be mindful of. How can I make the power of the gospel that I am a recipient of, that I am blessed with, how can I share that experience with someone else? See, the kingdom of God is really seen in the moment, in, in the experience in the experience. So it, it could be something as simple as, you know, food, groceries for a week, just to get someone by, just to get a family by. It, it could be as simple as you know, blankets and donation of blankets that we may not be using, they may be an excess, and we share, the, share those items with people in need. It, it, it could be as simple as mentorship, uh, it could be simple as friendship for someone who lost uh, a lot of friends because they're in Christ or maybe their life experience seems to be taking away from them rather than giving to them. It, it becomes a question of what is the opportunity? And while I know I'm, I've segued quite a bit from the narrative here, it raises the general question about what do we do with the opportunities that are ours? When God rolls out providentially a path for you to talk to someone that perhaps on other occasions you would not, not have had access to previously.
And so here we see that. You know, the, the current shakedown of our lifestyle before the shelter-in-place has really brought to the forefront what does it mean to be essential, what is essential, and some of it has brought us back to some basics. Our routines have become a bit basic. And this might be an opportunity for us to really get back to teaching our own family the power of the gospel. Um, and, and this is just the perfect time for that. To sit down, you know, we might be busier than ever with some of our jobs. Especially if your job is connected to uh, management and you have to have meetings, you know, day in and day out and, and those sorts of things. But, but then again, you might be working from home and you might be working from home in a way that you've never done before. And that allows you to do some things at home. But it also means that we have an opportunity to bridge now with our brothers and sisters in Christ or family or whoever it might be and check in on people that because we always get to see them personally, the distance now is forcing us to maintain that relationship and the energy now that we might spend in other things now has to be redirected to maintain those relationships by checking in on them in ways that perhaps we haven't done before. We, we cannot become complacent with our opportunities, is my point. And Paul had one thrusted before him. And, and, it, and it turned out, as is typical throughout the book of Acts, to what Paul would describe, I'm going to borrow Paul's language from Philippians, for the furtherance of the gospel. So when we see this here, that Publius's father lay sick with fever and dysentery, this again is a, a sign of, a dre of dread, of hardship, of difficulty. And the unlikely Christian the unlikely island visitor, remember, uh, he is uh, an island visitor that there was much to do about, you know, is he a criminal? He must have deserved death. Now he is visiting with another unlikely person, uh, not just the chief person, Publius, but his father. And so this man who survives a, his own near-death experience now has become a prime person to visit a man who is near death. And we see then in verse 8 that Paul visits him, prays for him, puts his hand on him, and then heals him. And, and this, is, this is significant this is an example of a, if I can use our modern language, a faith healer healing independently of what we are often told why miracles work. 
on the basis of the faith of another person. If you have faith, you can be healed. Now, I, I, I acknowledge that there may be times when that is instrumental in, in the stories of Scripture. But it, it is not the only way we see miracles work. You know, in Acts 3, it was the lame man. Peter heals him. How? By his faith? No, apart from his faith. The man just wanted money. Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. Well, this is what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. That miracle was done independently of the man's faith. I'd argue that this is a similar situation. Paul heals the father of Publius independent of faith in Jesus Christ. And we see him visit and pray, lay his hands on him, and he's healed. Again, another significant departure from modern-day miracles. And I, and I don't mean this negatively, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but if there ever was a time for modern-day healers to stand up and rise and do the work that God has so-called empowered them to do, this is it. This is the time. I believe that God will work wonders. I believe God does do that. I think he answers our prayers. I believe that when we ask God for prayer, I mean, when we ask God through prayer, we're asking him to intervene supernaturally. Uh, we're asking God. It's very different from miracles and signs. But... The net effect is we're asking God to intervene. We're asking him to do something that is not in the ordinary, you know, world of, of our, our present reality. When we say, Lord, be with the hands of the doctor. We're ask, we're, we are asking for supernatural intervention. Lord, give them a, a, I love this phrase, a ready recollection. What are we asking for? We're asking God to, to nudge their memory system. Or anytime we ask God to act, we're asking for some kind of supernatural intervention. That's not what you see here. Paul is doing something deeper and far more intimate. He is healing this person apart from medication, apart from anything like that. And as a result the reaction of the people is very clear. Uh, the text says, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So, as I said, I'm not trying to, I don't want to be rude here, uh, but if there ever was a day and time in which the so-called miracle workers can gather their you know, private jets, and, and work miracles and wonders, this would be a great time. Because there are, there are spouses and children and parents who are behind hospital walls that can't be reunited with their own family. The stakes are very high. And this would be a great time.
Um, so notice what happens then. So let's follow the trajectory of the story because this is our class is about reading Acts. God has taken a man who was a persecutor and changed his life. Changed his life to such an extent that he's willing to go across to foreign worlds and lands and share this message among his, his own Jewish people and then even to suffer persecution from them. And, and now he's on his way to Rome to present his own civil case in hopes that uh, they will see that he has done nothing worthy of death. But in the process, he has had in these misadventures opportunities to share the gospel with people that he probably would not have had. And as a result, verse 10, they honored us greatly. Here's the, <clears throat> the us or the we passages. Luke is with him here. They honored us greatly. And whenever we uh, were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And, and this again just speaks to my point. This speaks to the point that misadventures in your life can become an opportunity to show the power of the gospel in your life to others. And, and it can be as simple as, you know, dealing with fear. It could be as simple as sharing your resources. You know, we, I don't know about you, but I get a little discouraged. You know, I, I've gotten, I was very discouraged early on when everyone was competing for resources at the stores. Now, now our system has kind of caught up and and maybe we are seeing uh, a turn towards, you know, reopening and um, and maybe that'll help some. But, but think about some things with me here. These things were out of Paul's hands. He had no control. You know, whenever you feel like you know your life is out of control, I want you. I want you to remember this this moment, Paul's life. The man had no control over the sea, over the ship, over the behavior of the people, over the snake, over the over any of that. And then, and then God gives him an opportunity, for which the only control he has is to walk through the door God gave him to serve and to share that, that message and for to share that uh, demonstration of divine power that God had blessed him with, gifted him. So after this, this really great uh, moment where Paul um, was able to bring uh, blessings and love, uh, healing, and what, what healing often means is a renewed sense of, of uh, living again, right? Because illnesses uh, today, as much as uh, the ancient world, illnesses often reminded us how feeble and weak we are and, and how easy it could be to have one. You know, we're all one bad sickness away from being having our lives changed dramatically. And, and now we see that the lives of, of these souls on the island 
their lives have been changed dramatically in, in the healing they received. So Paul now is, is going to arrive in Rome. <clears throat> and what we're going to look at here in the rest of our, our class tonight is, is his actual arrival. So I'm going to read verse 11 to 16. And then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a few points here. And the lesson for tonight will be yours. It says here, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to uh, Puteoli. There we found brothers and we invited and we were invited to stay with them for seven days and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Again, we, we um, a few points just to remind, remind you of reading the text um, as best as we can as 21st century readers. Um, notice again these little subtle points from Luke. After three months, we set sail. So as I mentioned before, uh, the shipwreck probably happened somewhere uh, in, in October uh, or November. And so we might, in our calendar, in our way of thinking, uh, we might be, be looking at, you know, um, anywhere between uh, January, February, March. Um, can't be more specific than that. But we, we have this broad window, and we have to take that with us as we think about these after three months, we set sail on a ship. And, and we see here that as they had wintered, those would be the January, February months, um, and things open up, this, this ship that comes from a major port city, a ship of Alexandria, in other words, an Alexandrian, it could be either, one, it's an Alexandrian-made ship, or a ship that... Uh, had its birth from Alexandria, and it made it to this island. So the language is flexible here. But there is this interesting description of, of the figurehead that goes on the, the front of the ship. It had the twin gods as a figurehead. So it, um, you know, this, it's just this dramatic painting of the story of what's happening here. And... And again, it's to get the reader to go, ah, yes, you know, these things, um, I, can, I can imagine it in my head. Um, putting in at Syracuse, we stay there, so there's their island hopping again. Um, they go from Syracuse to Regium to Puteoli. Uh, and, and here I have on our Zoom class, you can see the map I'm sharing with you. Um, this, this sort of, um, how they went through uh, Syracuse on the island of Cilicia, or uh, Sicilia, excuse me, uh, or Sicily, uh, and then they make it to the, the first stop is the, the tip of the boot of, of Italy, 
and then they make it to a port city of Puteoli. And, and uh, by this, we get another, you know, just sort of travel log of, of what's happening here. And as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes it's easy to wonder why have these sorts of details in the Bible that seems so mundane, that seems to be just, you know, you know, boring information about, you know, no one wants to know that when, if I ever drive from Bakersfield to San Francisco, you know, uh, I stopped at Lost Hills and then I, I went to the Chevron and then, you know, no one cares about that. But, but if I did do that, it would make sense to you. Oh yeah, I've, I've, I've gone to that one spot before, or, you know, that is a good, you know, a good Chevron or whatever, right? Um, it's the realism of the story. These things did happen. And it's critical for Luke, and as he's inspired by the Spirit, to detail, as he said in chapter one, I'm going to tell you th this story very carefully. And I want you to know that these things did happen, and I want you to feel confident that how you've been told these things have developed, it's exactly how they have developed. And here is one eyewitness. You have Paul, and you have a host of political figures, a host of, of religious people. You have a, the Jews as a community. You have all of this anchoring the story in history. And that becomes a powerful argument for us today, perhaps not as much as the first century, although I wouldn't put it past the, nest, the, the power of going, wow, they really went into detail to tell us these things. But for us today, us moderns here, you know, or our postmoderns, whoever you might identify with, to know that these places are visible, uh, uh, you know, checkable. You can go to these places and, and, and check them out and see for yourself. I get tons of biblical magazines always offering people to go to Bible lands and seeing the places firsthand. Uh, it, it, is, it is just an example and an argument that supports uh, the Christian case that these things did happen. That the cause of Christ did, that the, the movement of God through Jesus Christ uh, did happen. Uh, that the historicity of, you know, the ministry of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is, is valid. The stories of the early church is valid uh, and, and it supports that and, and it gives us confidence in the, in the wake of criticism that these are just religious parables that these are just religious fictions, that these are constructs out of the mind of the church to sort of make sense of why we do what we're doing. Uh, I dispute that. And I think the biblical text itself, the evidence we all have, would dispute that too. So don't get lost on the itinerary here. The itinerary here. Um, because much like much like the um, genealogies of the Old Testament, they have a meaning and a purpose. And so these are all to give us a sense of the realism of the story of what's happening. 
And so uh, getting back to verses 13 and 14, as they finally put in at uh, Putioli, uh, there they find brethren. See, the church, the network of the church was already there. There were Christians in Rome before Paul ever got there. And we see even that hinted at in Romans chapter 1, that Paul desired to be with them to impart some gift to them uh, because it seems that he had not really done so and been able to do that. He seems to to not have been able to do that even when he was with them for about a week. But at any rate, it says we found some brothers and then we were invited to stay. So I would suspect that these Christians weren't anticipating Paul. We found them. Um, We might have a disagreement on if if they were anticipating him or not, but but in verse 14, I, I, I get the sense that that, uh, you know, Paul knew kind of where to look. And when he found them, they accepted them as brethren and received them and they stayed seven days. This goes back to something I've learned time and time again about the Christian family. Uh, We have, because of our common bond in Christ, we have access, you know, to, to generous and benevolent people willing to receive us and take us in when we need that help. And that really is at the heart of what the what Christians are are supposed to be about. Uh, and and it saddens me at times. And you know, I've had I've had trucker friends, brethren in the church, truckers, who who when they're driving long hauls, they can't find a brother or sister who will help them get to church. You know, they have those big, big, long rigs and they can't just pull up in the church parking lot. And sometimes they'll call in and say, hey, I'm a member of the church. I just need a ride to church and back to my truck and no one will go get them. That's pretty sad. But the flip side to that is, I've also seen and experienced and through friends and contact, the generosity of Christians. You know, um, driving down the road, driving across country, car breaks down, you know, and through mutual connections, a congregation that has no clue who this person is will help pay their car bill, fix their car up, and get them to the next leg of their journey. You know, it is, it is those things uh, that really always em- encourage me and remind me of the power of, of, of the Christian relationship, the the family of God that that we are. And so um, I I see that all built into this verse 14. You know, we came from afar and the people of similar faith, perhaps who didn't really know us, they, they welcomed us in. We were invited. They kept us for a week. I, I think that's, that's a pretty powerful statement. Pretty powerful. And um, and so from Putioli, uh, they they travel, um, they they travel up to uh, you know these specific locations, the Forum of Appius, uh, the three taverns, and they finally make it to the city of Rome. And as I understand it, this would still be the the wooden city of Rome. Uh, 
the the magnificent magnificent buildings and structures uh, that you might see today uh, were destroyed in the fire of Rome. So, and that happened in the sixties uh, under the the reign of Nero, uh, who would be who would be uh, presiding as as Caesar at this this point in time, and it seems here that. Um, all of the, the old structures are still there. The fire hasn't happened yet. So again, think about this. We often look at misadventures, bad things that happen to us. The world is slanted against me. We, we see this, we get this sense of negativity in the world. And we end up forgetting that through the negativity that's in the world, God opens up opportunity for us to share his word. This is what we're seeing in Paul's life. And, and um, again, brethren from Rome meet him. Uh, they, they're all together. And, and the, I just love this. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. You know, how would how would you like to be one of those people that could give Paul courage? You know, uh, to give him strength to to push through whatever is happening to him. You know, uh, through a series of mis you know a series of unfortunate events to borrow a, a, you know the title of that book series. He gets to Rome and literally with nothing but the, you know, the shirt on his back. And now he meets Christians that perhaps he had never met before. But the work of the gospel aligns their faith. They have the same faith, focus on the same God, and they encourage each other. And Paul gets a, an outpouring of praise. He thanks God. And all this while chained to a guard. So, some pretty powerful and beautiful things are happening here. And as the book is about to close, we have another half of this chapter to go. We're going to do this next, next Wednesday night. But when you, when you think about then how, how the Apostle Paul takes these misadventures and yet fulfills his mission through them. I think we need to learn to take a page out of that, a lesson from Paul there. And it says here in verse 16, we came into Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And, and like that, he's in Rome. The Roman citizen from Tarsus, trained and who had grown up in Jerusalem, who was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of, of Jesus, who becomes uh, probably the most known name or figure of Christianity, save Jesus himself, is now in the city that is the center of the world. And he doesn't get there through a straight course. He gets there through misadventure. It wasn't a well-conceived plan. It was the providential hand of God. And I want you to get to see that because 
Too many times we get lost in our misadventures. Don't we? Don't you? I know I do. Too many times we, we get caught up in our own misadventures that we forget what God is doing or can do through them. So I hope tonight as you, we close our study together uh, in verse 16, that you, you realize uh, that you realize that misadventures, God's got you covered. When you, got, when you get into misadventures, God has a way to take that and make it an adventure of faith for you to share his word with someone who needs it or a place that needs it.